Hear the word of the Lord. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea." The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, for they were demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty." Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done! And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Holy Father, we always need your help when reading your word, when when studying it, when seeking to understand and apply it. And especially so in passages like this that are full of wrath, full of imagery that may confuse us. Would you guide us by your Spirit to see you and your glories and your goodness in this passage, to repent of our evil and give you glory. Do that work in our hearts now, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, There's a song that was somewhat ringing in my ears as I was studying this passage. It's the one song I know by the band R.E.M. It's the end of the world as we know it. That would have been a fitting song 
in the first century as the events that are being described through this imagery were unfolding. It's a good title for Revelation 16. This passage is not about the very end of the world. This is not about the final, some final cataclysmic destruction of earth and everything in it. Rather, it's about a great clearing away, a great disarming of the old world order. It's the end of the world as first century people would have known it. By analogy, you can think about, you know, the White House. And when a new administration comes in, especially if the administration is from the opposite party, what happens? <laughs> There's a great clearing out. Red purges blue and blue purges red. You pack up your belongings, you hand in your badge, and someone else is to come in and take your place. What we have here is a, a clearing out of the old world for the arrival of the new. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of God. And here the old Jerusalem is, is getting obliterated, that a new Jerusalem might take its place. The Holy One, you see Him there in verse 5, is purging His domain of the evil one, sending judgment after judgment, culminating in the seventh and final blow. And the result of that judgment, you see there in verse 19, the great city, that's Jerusalem, is split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. This is the fall of the old world in the fall of Jerusalem. This is the great judgment of God on the, dom on the domain of darkness in the first century, as the kingdom of light is soon to come in to take its place. So that's what we're looking at here. What is the relevance of all this for us today? Well, we need to choose a posture toward the cleansing judge in the kingdom he has established. We need to reckon with this new administration because his judgment is coming for us. And so, what response will we have to the power and the just judgments of God? That's where we're heading. To organize this, uh, our time, let me offer three, dimens three dimensions of God's cleansing judgment that we see here. Three dimensions of God's judgment. First, it is just. Second, it is thorough. Third, it is exposing. It is just. It is thorough. It is exposing. Let's look at that first one. God's judgment is just. God is just and true to judge the world and punish evil. The basic dynamic of judgment that permeates this whole text is blood for blood. Look at verse 5 with me, what the angel in charge of the water says after plague 3. He says, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Blood for blood. 
In a book where we need all the help we can get in identifying what is going on, here are some very helpful words. They, the people who are receiving these judgments, have shed the blood of saints and prophets. And God has given them blood to drink. Blood is in the bowls, and it is the blood of the saints and the prophets, the blood of the martyrs, and it's being poured into the drinking water of the city to turn the water into blood. This is blood for blood. This is God's answer to the cry of the martyrs way back in chapter 6, verse 10, when they said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? His answer has come. It is now. It is in this judgment that he is judging and avenging blood. This isn't random judgment cast out upon the earth for no reason. This is retributive justice. This is, as the angel says, what they deserve. And I wonder how that sits with you. It is what they deserve. Do you bristle at it? I admit that I do. As I read it, it sounds harsh to me. Sounds ungracious, but I have to move past that initial feeling. In fact, I need to lay that response open before God for examination and invite Him to judge my thoughts about Him. Perhaps you, tr- you too struggle with feeling that sometimes God's judgments are overly harsh as you read about them in the Scriptures, and if so, Let me offer two truths that I think can help with that. One is this, to remember where your sense of justice comes from. That is, how is it that you even have a category for justice or injustice? Why does anything feel wrong or right to you? The answer is God. You are made in the image of a just God. And because of that, justice, some remaining form of it, is in your heart. You would not even know justice if it weren't for God. And so if something seems unjust to you about what God does or decrees, you can remind yourself of this. Surely, the God of justice, who gives me my very sense of justice, sees this situation with more clarity and wisdom than me and will do what is right. The servant is not above his master, so to speak. We are creatures made in the image of the Creator. Our justice is not above His. It is not better than His. It is a shadow of His. And so that is one truth that can help us resolve in our hearts that God is just. Here's a second God's justice agrees with His holiness. He's called the Holy One here, and He's just in bringing His judgment. When I say His justice agrees with His holiness, what I mean is that the perfection of God, that is His holiness, applies to His justice as well. His judgments, like His character, are perfect and true. The other day, uh, 
John Mata and Tommy Hannah and I were in the church office, and John told us about this, this story he'd read in the news about this guy that just got sentenced to five years in prison for spraying his girlfriend's name in graffiti on the Coliseum. And two of us in that conversation immediately said, in effect, it is what he deserves. <laughs> in fact, give him seven. <laughs> we were, you know, outraged. One of us thought it was overly harsh of a punishment. We all had a sense of justice that a wrong had been committed, but none of us were sure what would actually be a fair punishment. Why? Because we actually don't know truly what is just. Because of sin, our sense of justice is marred. It is blurred. Our scales are uneven. But God is holy. And so we can be sure that His judgments are just and true. That He knows exactly what is right. And He causes it to pass. And as we grow in holiness, we also will grow to love justice and hunger for righteousness. Here's how one person puts it. If you hunger for righteousness... Hear this word of, wrath, of the wrath of God poured out on all evil. If you cry out in hopeless pain, hear this word of the wrath of God poured out on all foul disease and cruelty. If you cannot read the news without weeping for children who are abused and war widows who grieve without consolation and people who starve with knots of grass in their stomachs, hear this word of the wrath of God poured out upon injustice and pray. Pray to God that it's true. See, maybe on the surface we all want all grace all the time. But actually, we want justice too. We want justice because without it, the world would be unbearable and there would be no hope. If all the evil in the world was never brought to account, it would be unbearable. There must be someone who finally and perfectly enacts justice, or we would go mad. Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgment, judgments. And the voice from the altar echoes in affirmation, and it is to be ours as well. Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. That is the voice of holiness, true and just. They are words that we long to see preside over our homes, over courts throughout the land. Don't we want them presiding over the whole world, world without end? We do. And here, the Holy One in truth and justice is making things right and clearing a world of injustice away to establish a world that knows only justice and righteousness. And so that's the first dimension of God's cleansing judgment that we see. It is just. It is exactly right. Here's a second dimension. It is thorough. It is thorough. That is, God's cleansing judgment has canvassed all of creation. Perhaps you noticed as we made our way through the bowls being 
poured out, how the bowls touched every corner of creation, and how there, were some, there was some correspondence even between the bowls and the days of creation. Bowl one is poured upon the land. Bowl two, upon the sea. Bowl three, upon the rivers and springs. Bowl four, upon the sun. Bowl five, upon the beast. Bowl six, upon the river Euphrates. And bowl seven, into the air. At which point the voice from the throne says, It is done! And God rests, as it were, from his wrath. Here is God's judgment. Here God's judgment is rolling out upon the dominion of the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world, as the scriptures call him. The old world is being demolished. And every element of creation, land, sea, sky, river, is being sprinkled with cleansing blood, with wrath line. I remind you that the title of the sermon is Cleansing Judgment. And where am I getting that idea of cleansing? Well, at the end of Revelation 15, here's where it's helpful to have your Bibles, we read this sentence, the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Well, that language there of sanctuary, of smoke, no one being able to enter, that is temple language. In, in the book of Leviticus, when God lays out how He is to be worshipped in the tabernacle, which is a precursor to the temple, He makes it clear that no one is to enter the most holy place, except for the high priest one day a year on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And even then, it's only after a sevenfold sprinkling of blood. Now listen to this from Leviticus 16, starting at verse 11. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and he shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, two handfuls of a sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat. That's an, we're seeing that echoed at the end of Revelation 15 that it may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat and, in, and on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. And again, he does a very similar thing for the sin offering of the people, sprinkling seven times. Well, what do we have in our passage here? Seven bowls of blood, seven sprinklings, as it were, over the earth. And so we have this word in Revelation 15 of a sanctuary being barred until the seven plagues are finished. And we have a sevenfold sprinkling of blood being sprinkled out over all creation. What is happening? The sanctuary that is the earth is being cleansed. It's being purged. It's being prepared for entrance. Peter Lightheart makes this awesome connection. He says this, 
about this passage. It is Yom Kippur, but an odd one. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest brings blood into the temple of the tabernacle of testimony to cleanse it. Here, seven priestly angels bring, out, bring blood out of the heavenly temple to pour it on the land. Ultimately, the blood cleanses. The bold judgments purge the land, tear down the old city, and make way for the new Jerusalem. Okay, you might feel dizzy from all that. <laughs> That's okay. Here's, here's, the idea, here's the idea. The earth is being cleansed so that it can be a sanctuary for God and His people to dwell together. Out with the old so that the new may come in. What John is seeing here in images is the beginning of the end of the world, the first fruits, as it were, of what, of what the rest of time will be, a renewal of creation, a cosmic cleansing and renovation that readies earth for heaven so that earth and heaven can be one. And that's where creation is going. You know, if you've ever done a renovation project, you know that quite a bit of demolition goes into renovation. Well, so here, this is God, the Holy One, beginning His righteous renovation of the earth, kicking out the evil one who has been squatting in his house, so to speak, and making room instead for his bride. This is a cleansing judgment, and it is thorough, touching every corner of creation. Every nook and cranny of creation will be fit for man and God to dwell together. The cleansing judgment of God. We've seen two aspects of this judgment. It is just, and it is thorough. Let us move now to the third and final. It is exposing. It is exposing. That is, God's cleansing, cleansing judgment prompts a response in you that reveals your thoughts about God. There's yet one more motif from the Old Testament running through all of this. We've seen creation. We've seen temple. Let us end with Exodus. If you are familiar with the story of God calling Israel out of Egypt through a series of ten plagues, you probably thought about that story as we were reading this passage. God loosened Pharaoh's grip on Israel through those plagues. And what do we have here? a series of seven plagues, and some elements of those ten plagues in Egypt resurfacing here. Painful sores, a bloody river, frogs, hail. If your mind went to Egypt, it was meant to. Each plague in the story of, the ex of Exodus was meant to show God's power over Pharaoh and over the gods of Egypt, and it was to cause Pharaoh to repent of keeping Israel as slaves. But do you remember how Pharaoh responded? After each plague, we read something to this effect. But Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he would not let the people go. He was rebellious. He would not repent. He would not give God glory. And even after he finally let the people go, he changed his mind yet again, and he assembled his army, and he chased after them to bring them back. 
Well, we see echoes of that here. Look at verse 9 in our passage. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give Him glory. Skip to the end of verse 10. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. Verse 16. They, the dragon, the sea beast, the land beast, assembled them, the kings of the whole world, at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Here God's enemies are assembling against him like Pharaoh did with his army. And in a few chapters, we'll see how this ends for the the dragon, the sea beast, and the land beast. One more response to the plagues. Look at the end of verse 21. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. What are these plagues doing? They are revealing two things at once. They are revealing the power of God and the rebellion of the wicked. They are revealing hearts. These plagues are meant to get the attention of the wicked, to show forth to them the power of God that they would repent, that they would say in their heart and with their mouths, I thought the dragon had power. I was wrong. This is the true God. But instead of repenting, they curse God. Their hearts are hardened. They are obstinate. The plagues are revealing hearts that will not repent. The plagues are exposing. They are exposing. Each of us will give an account to God. So, in conclusion, by the end of this passage, here's what we see. We see a holy God whose judgments are just and true, doling out righteous punishment, provoking either a response of praise, holy God, just and true are your judgments, or a response of cursing. We see a holy God toppling over the world order, working from the edges of creation to the center of the old world, to Jerusalem itself, to show forth this escapable truth The old administration is falling apart. It's over. It's done. Revelation has been building to this moment, and the word crashes down in thunder and lightning. It is done. And now that it's done, you and I have a decision to make before a decision is made about us. If you are in Christ, if you've put your faith in Him, you have made your decision. You have believed in His Word that the kingdom of the world is passing and the kingdom of God is at hand and is established and is to never be moved, and you have entered in by the blood of Christ. You have been sprinkled with righteous blood so that your blood will not be required of you. God is righteous and requires blood for blood, but He is merciful too. And He accepts the blood of His own Son as your due payment if you have put your faith in Him. And so, your decision is this. 
Will you stay awake and stay dressed? Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. If you are in Christ, you have been given a robe to wear. Don't take it off. Do not forsake the robe of the righteousness of Christ and so be found exposed on the day of judgment. Hold fast to your confession. Stay awake. Stay clothed. Persevere a little while longer. The world around you that seems lasting and strong, it's crumbling. Do not believe otherwise. Keep looking with the spiritual eyes that Revelation is giving you that it's the end of the world as you know it and a new one has come. Okay, that's the application for those who are in Christ. If you are not yet in Christ, if you have not put your faith in Him, know this and hear me clearly. You will not escape the righteous cleansing judgment of God. It is just, it is thorough, it is exposing. Do not align yourself with Pharaoh who hardened his heart. Do not repeat the mistakes that you see named here of those who refuse to repent and give God glory and who instead curse God. Just and true are his judgments, and he will make a judgment concerning you. If you believe in Christ, if you will claim his blood to cleanse you, then you will hear a word of pardon, and it will be just. But if you refuse the blood offered freely to you, you will be judged on the merits of your life, and it will be just, and you will not stand. I beg of you, repent and give God glory and believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation. May all of us put on and keep on the robe of the righteousness of Christ. God requires blood for blood, and He has provided blood in Christ. Let us take it. Let's pray. Father, you are true and just and holy in all your judgments. We tremble before you, but we stand upright, strengthened by Christ himself, clothed in his righteousness. For this we give you unending thanks and praise. And we ask that you would help us to hold fast to our confession and to persevere a little while longer, entrusting ourselves to the one who judges justly. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.